Hey. Hey. I'm Alex. I'm Val. We're going to talk about Busto. Season 2, episode 10. Mm-hmm. Busto. Right. Yeah. Great episode. Who wrote it? Frank Renzulli, as well as uh, Green and Burgess, and directed by John Patterson. Cool. So, it's a great episode. What are your thoughts? I think it's a great episode. Well, in this episode, we have the kind of continued toxic nature of everything that Tony does. Mm-hmm. So I think we see more people kind of get bust out in this episode as a result of his actions. Yeah. And also we see Tony almost running into some serious problems for himself based on his own actions, more so than we've had in previous episodes. Yeah, totally. And we actually see him being scared of that possibility or like thinking that that's a real possibility for him. Yeah. Yeah, no, totally. Well, it kind of ties together like the past couple episodes, right? So we have like, you know, the reason that Tony is potentially being investigated is because of the murder of Matt Bevilacqua from last yeah. episode. But then the stuff with Dave Scavino goes back to which episode? Um, um, Dave Scavino, that would go back to the one with the executive game. The uh, oh, the Happy Wanderer, which was pretty recent. Right. Yeah, so that, that just happened. before D-Girl, though. I mean, right. it was a couple episodes back. Yeah. Even still, though, it's kind of like a continuation of that new character. Yeah, no, so it's interesting. We kind of get, like, the fallout, if you want to call it that, from those two, you know, these two pretty major things that Tony's been involved in. One more on, you know, like, the violent end and one more on the sociopathic kind of end. But Yeah, totally. Um, yeah, we also get, yeah, well, I don't know. Well, how do you, I don't know how you want to talk about this episode. Well, let's, I mean, okay, so it's interesting. The person who comes out is a small character, but it's interesting to think about them who spots Tony. Right. So that the, the guy very beginning, from... you know, when, yeah, so he's kind of talking to the FBI and, you know, feeling like it's his obligation to come forward as a citizen and report something like this. And the agents are saying, you know, like, thanks to people like you, we just might do that regarding putting somebody right. behind bars. Right. Um, I thought it was interesting how, you know, he's concerned and he's talking about, like, oh, you know, who was it? And it was just some, you know, Kid somebody who fell in with the wrong crowd. Who got crowd. mixed up with the wrong crowd, you know, and yeah. then he says, like, crack, which is interesting, like, how simplistic his view of it is. Yeah. So even, like, I love how this show can take such a bit character and still interject like a multi-dimensional yeah. side to well, that character. Well, especially when we see like, him at home later, right? We get this yeah. like <laughs> it's amazing. Yeah. I love it. I love it so much. Yeah, so he's listening to Vayburn. So, yeah, also just like yeah, that that short time like where they start to freak out and then his wife is saying like, you know, you just had to be a big man and go and do this. But it's such incredible choice of music to have this like Vayburn often like would use like very kind of quiet dynamics and there's this kind of like quiet intensity to the music yeah and also just this insanity of a character two characters who are just sitting at home you know he's reading his like I wrote it down but you know anywhere yeah, like his anarchy utopia book right, right, listening right, to yeah. Vayburn like they're so far removed from the world of Sopranos this kind of, there's this kind of like pretension to them yeah she's reading like the New York Times or whatever yeah, yeah. yeah drinking their wine yeah yeah and then there's a guitar it all comes 
it all comes crashing down, right? Mm-hmm. And then, you know, I love how, yeah, so I got it. He, he was reading Anarchy, State, and Utopia. And uh, and they were listening to Variations for Piano, Opus 27. <laughs> and But I love how, you know, they're listening to Weber and Variations for Piano, Opus 27, reading Anarchy, State, and Utopia together, not even talking. And then as soon as it comes out about the fact that they're gangsters, you know, he's like lying cocksuckers about the agents. And it's like, as soon as, again, anybody's brought into the orbit of the mobsters, they're like different people. They're brought down right. to the level. Right. So yeah. <laughs> that's very unlike him, you know, to be calling the agents lying cocksuckers because they didn't, you know, imply that they were with the mafia. Right. But there's right. this aspect of like panic and also like that kind of like heroic nature that he had and that willingness to do something noble for the common good yeah. evaporates immediately. Yeah, well, this the system that the Sopranos live within doesn't allow for that. It doesn't allow for anything to be kind of like um, without reward kind yeah. of thing, right? Like it doesn't allow for that kind of like... Um, uh, like from your heart, you know, like for the greater good kind of attitudes. It's always yeah. like who makes the bigger dollar. Yeah. And, you know, it, it, there's no room for that. Yeah. No, totally. So it's interesting for me, like how Tony gets close to f- facing real repercussions for his actions, but he doesn't. Mm. You know, so even like the way that he talks about it with Melfi, you know, he's talking about going away for something I didn't do, mm-hmm. which is interesting because he clearly did this thing. We just saw him do this thing. Yeah. And yet, even in his most private moments, he can't accept that it's something that he did. So it's understandable that he would offload this to protect himself in the name of the law. But we feel like psychologically he has this characteristic of avoidance mm-hmm. to not take any ownership for anything. Well, in some ways, and it's kind of a strange comparison maybe, but, like, it's like AJ with his swim meet. Mm-hmm. Like, they keep being, like, he he was, like, I would have got second place if I hadn't slipped my foot. And then Carmela right. just focuses on, like, you, he almost, like, you missed him almost get second place or right. whatever. It is this, like, it's you're not able to take ownership for things that aren't, um, I don't know, this, like, strong man kind of... Um, image that you have of yourself i don't know yeah i thought that was really interesting the swim meet in general too like you know carmela saying to him it couldn't have been more important than letting your son know you care about him yeah when he wasn't there and that's really interesting to me because that was theoretically tony's feelings like earlier in the episode as things are closing in on him theoretically he wants to engage with aj and do things with him but he doesn't. He forgets about it and then, like, takes it out angrily yeah. against Carmela. Yeah. So that was actually a good opportunity, something that did matter to AJ, that he was engaged in, that was very easy for Tony to go to. But he didn't do it and didn't care. When he had the idea to go fishing, note all the water. Mm, there's a lot of water. <laughs> there's in a sun. lot of water. And, you know, we can talk about those as, as things, you know, come up. But it's really interesting. And that's something that's been associated with, the eternal and the afterlife mm-hmm. already with water directly with bridges all sorts of things but i think that that's a big part of this episode and there's other imagery true too the the orange juice is coming in a lot i yeah. think that for me a main theme of this episode was 
Tony is confronted with more eternal questions and how does he respond to it? Right. So he's confronted with his mortality or maybe his mortality as a free person who can live the life that he lives right now. Right. And what does he do about it? And I feel like the answer is very bleak. He basically just keeps on doing the same things. And it's a very cursory intent to do anything meaningful. Right. And theoretically, you know, he wants to engage with AJ, but he really doesn't. And actually, he takes it out on him when he's going to the mall. Right. When he just kind of springs it on him. And I think it is like this pivotal moment for AJ, too. You know, Melfi calls it this bittersweet period, you know, where you're sad to be losing them, but you're happy that they're turning into adults. And he's just like watching it fade away. Even compared to the first season, you know, like when he went to go play with AJ and they were he was playing a game and he was playing like Mario Kart. Yeah. And now he's playing this like more like grown up refined racing game. Yeah. No, I totally. even feel like that was related. Like he's there's a there's a process of aging and time passing yeah. from the beginning of this show. Yeah. And it's getting away from him. No, that's a good point. Yeah. Um, yeah, we don't, I mean, and this episode spans, like, a relatively long time, too. Like, we have some episodes that um, take yeah. place over the course of, like, a day kind of thing. And this one seems to, like, span over quite a bit of time, too. So I think we're, like, kind of aware of that. Yeah. The passage of time for characters and, like, different things happening on different days. Totally. Um, kind of with, like, following this process. Yeah. Too. No, definitely. Um, yeah, it's hard to know how long everything took mm -hmm. in this episode. Uh, going back to with AJ, like in that kind of like string of events that happened, it was it was interesting actually. They had the scene with um, Carmela saying it couldn't have been more important than letting your son know you care about him. Then that kind of wraps up. Carmela runs upstairs. Right. Then there's a they kind of like once they re kind of frame the scene there's a shot of the house yeah again they, with nature there's a lot of nature i was kind of you know like mm -hmm. these like eternal things so yeah so they show the house at night and then actually meadow comes down to get orange juice yeah which is associated well, she comes with in. death she's coming in from something being on a chat room being in the chat no room. she was coming home oh she from was something. outside yeah she came in oh she was going garage. to the chat room yeah oh, well okay. as you know when you come home from a night with your friends and you're in high school you the go next, on ICQ. Then you have to go on ICQ after. <laughs> yeah, exactly. What year are we in? In uh, in like the year 2000, what are we at? MSN Messenger? Um, I think that probably. But she probably it's, had it's probably like AOL ICQ. or something. Right. What a great time. Yeah. Um, How do you feel about actually the very end with Tony oh. and AJ on the boat? Um, I'll come to that in a second. <laughs> I wanted to comment on, you were talking about that shot of the house. Yeah. They do two of them. So usually, like, in, like, a normal sitcom. Yeah. Those kind of shots of, like, a house before you jump mm. into a scene, those are used to, like, set a place. Like, right. they, like, tell you you're in a new place. But when that was used, and it was used twice this episode, it went from a scene that was in the house to another scene in the house. Right. And just, like, the like outside shot of the house showing the time of day. Right. Like that's what like I was saying like with like the passage of time stuff, like it made me feel very aware of that. Yeah. But also like it was a little bit off putting because you think that you're gonna be placed some like when a scene in the house ends, you think you're gonna go to a scene that's not in the Soprano house. Right. Then you like jump right back into that with Meadow coming home. Right. Um so I just thought that was interesting. Yeah. Really, really interesting, for um, sure. Well, 
Yeah. Yeah. No, definitely. Yeah. So, okay, so what do you think about Tony and AJ in the last scene and Stu Gatz? I don't know. I don't, like, read too much into it. Like, it was pretty, like, any meaning that I'm going to derive from it was, like, pretty hitting you in the face. Yeah, maybe. I mean, I think it does play into, like... It was a like, pretty strong... It was a pretty strong scene. Yeah, but, I mean, I think there's a statement from it. Mm-hmm. And, you know, and I think that, like, related to what are the repercussions for Tony when he does something bad or he almost gets caught? And the show starts to examine nothing. In fact, he's almost, like, rewarded from yeah. that, from those lines of things. Yeah. So when he takes it out on other people, it, it constantly, like, does well for him. The bust out for Davey, which completely ruins his life... You know, he's benefiting and profiting off of that. Yeah. In the end of this, when he's with AJ, like, what are the lessons that he teaches AJ at the end? So when he finally does spend time with them, they're kind of, like, there in the boat. And he's kind of, like, playing around with them about not letting him guide the boat. Saying that, you know, like, you need to plan. It's, you know, there's no brakes. Mm -hmm. You need to be aware. And Mm -hmm. then at the end, he just, like, pumps up the speed and, like, capsizes a canoe. So, I mean, like, the two of them are just kind of, like, going, and there's just, like, kind of wreaking havoc on the world around them. Mm -hmm. And I think that that ends up being what he's teaching his son. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Also, the fact that they're, like, kind of, like, they are brought back to the water, too. Like, he wanted to go fishing. Um, There's just, there's a lot. There's a lot that's happening there. Yeah. And uh, the thing that I was actually trying to recall was um, when he's talking to Dave Scavino, he says to him regarding the bust out, you know, like, don't freak out. Like, this is my bread and butter, which I thought was really interesting because he's mentioned that about the garbage business before, which is, uh, yeah. which is such a, like, fascinating thing to think of garbage being your bread and butter. It's, like, seemingly this oxymoron, but yeah. it's true. Like, the Sopranos, they they benefit from garbage. Like, everything that benefits them takes it away from someone else. And we talked about this kind of, like, zero-sum world, but in previous episodes, but it's true that like there's a resulting misery and there's resulting garbage and, you know, just like decay from everything they do. Um, the, the last things too, that I was thinking of on the kind of like water themes was, uh, was a bunch. Like I was thinking too, it was interesting when pussy goes to meet skip near the beginning of Mm -hmm. the episode and they're actually like by the beach. Mm -hmm. I feel like there, and there's like the sound effects too. We're hearing like in a future episode, maybe, (laughs) <laughs> but I feel like seagulls and stuff like in the um, sound effects, like there's just this like for me, there was something that's like impending and kind of closing in on him. Mm-hmm. Like he's getting closer to the water, which is not a good thing to be close to in mm-hmm. this world based on the symbolism we've seen. Yeah. The uh, lawyer says, get all, all, get all, like, your, ducks get all your ducks in a row. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. Anyway, I just thought that those things were all interesting and that there was quite a bit of it in this episode. No, for sure. Also, yeah, I mean, um, Tony by the pool. Mm -hmm. And uh, actually, it was interesting when he's he's playing with AJ near the beginning of the episode. And um, he's told, there's a man here to see you. And then the camera actually, like, he's playing kind of, like, carefree with AJ. But then the camera spins around him like we've talked about in college and other episodes. And it actually ends up on, like, the shady side of his face Mm. before he goes to talk to Agent Harris and the agents in the house. Right. Um, Yeah, I also thought it was interesting uh, just before that with um, Carmela referenced a study regarding when she was talking about that, like how she he should be spending time with AJ, how a father's support 
is integral from this Harvard study regarding managing frustrations. And I thought that that was really interesting it because... It was a Time article. It was a Time? Yeah. I thought it was a Harvard study, though. Oh, I don't know. Oh, very important details. Yeah. <laughs> but what's interesting is that managing frustrations might be the two-word summary of what Tony wants to get out of therapy. Right. And yet, what he has ended up with from it is blaming it on his mother. Right. And I find that that's really interesting because now the show is kind of like referencing that and saying that it's actually the father's in input. Right. Which is something that's very unexamined yeah. in Tony's psychiatry. Yeah. Um, or his sessions. Yeah. And the reality is that he could have an impact on AJ in terms of managing his frustrations. Mm -hmm. And everything we've seen is that he has not learned how to manage his frustrations. It has not improved through the well, course of this show. Yeah, he also doesn't see that as the role of a father. Like, Carmela goes and says all this stuff from this article, like, your capacity to problem solve and blah, blah, blah. Like, yeah. there's all these benefits, right? But he sees it as, like, someone to toughen you up, someone yeah. to, you know, um, like, not be afraid of spiders, you know? Right. Um, so it's just like, that's never going to be how Tony sees his role. Right. Which inevitably or is his, going to lead to responsibility the, or hit something. Yeah, which that is going to lead the fault. cycle to just continue. Yeah. And it's kind of like when he talks to Meadow later. Yeah. Right. And like he doesn't, um, like he talks about how like people think like Meadow's just like her mom, but he's, but she's really like Tony. Yeah. Right. Nothing gets past her. Um, I don't know. Like, it is interesting, like, these these things that are brought up with, like, what is your responsibility as a parent to, like, raise your child properly? Or then we see, you know, like, Davy Scavino giving away or whatever, gambling away all his son's money, right? Yeah. And someone else then has to provide. Like, what is the role of a father in a family? Yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah. I thought that that was interesting, too, again, with, with Davy Scavino. Um, first of all, like, with his wife, Christina, when she's meeting with Carmela and saying that Eric took his took her car to a fencing meet, so she didn't have it. Like, again, like this, like... The repercussions. The repercussions of, of their yeah. actions from the previous episodes. But then also, like, in The Happy Wanderer, we talked about Eric and his merits, right? Mm -hmm. And then the inevitable outcome for him based mm -hmm. on the way everything happens compared for him compared to meadow and it's not really fair and that the justice doesn't really exist because he's affected so much more heavily but again in this like the fact that eric gets into georgetown and we hear that meadow doesn't she's waitlisted and actually doesn't bring it up to livia yeah that's interesting you know like there's something about like eric has done something that meadow hasn't and yet he's kind of so fucked by yeah. everything that the sopranos have done and yet meadow is so far ahead it's interesting. Yeah. No, it is interesting. I wanted to talk about the dreams in this episode. Mm. So we have, I guess it's not really a dream, but we have like a flashback that Tony has when he's at the mall at the very beginning and there's yeah. the carousel. We have this like flashback to... Um, carousel. <laughs> you're just going to say the word carousel? Just carousel. Well... Yeah, it just, it, it reminds, I feel like there's, there's like, under the surface in this episode, a big part of it is this, like, 
inevitability of generations repeating mistakes and from like father to son mm-hmm. passing down, which, which reminds me of Carousel, Carousel. Yeah. <laughs> the musical, which yep. is, you know, based on this great Hungarian play. But <laughs> anyway, there's, yeah. And there was, there was just some other things. The, the last song too, actually, I was thinking about when we were talking about some of these things. The journey song? It was a journey song. Well, this like, what, what was it? It was the like, the circle wheel. in the sky, the wheel in the sky. Yeah. There's something just like, a repet- there's like repetitive, circular, never-ending, infinite movement or something mm-hmm, that mm-hmm. I get from this episode. Yep, totally. Something. I'm sorry to just interject with the word carousel, but... Yeah, that's fine. You got my thoughts. Um, yeah, I forgot what I was going to say, but that's okay. I don't know. Um, but then we have another dream. We don't see the dream that Carmel is having, but we know she has this dream, right? And so we have this kind of like meta level therapy happening when Christine or whatever her name is. Um, Christine, I think. Because yeah. Carmela says, I had a dream about Vic yeah. the other night. And she was like, well, that's just your subconscious telling you that you want to wallpaper your dining room. Right. Which was a funny, I don't know, like misappropriation of dream analysis that we like, you know, ostensibly Melfi would be someone who is involved in that. Right. Um, and obviously the dream was probably more complicated or at least more sexy than about <laughs> wallpaper. So. Seems it. Yeah. Probably. Yeah. Yeah. Um, well, what about Vic Musto? What do you think about him as a character? Um, it's, int- I, I like it. It kind of like, again, it's these like widening circles, right? So like it shows the impact mm-hmm. on people who are like further and further away from like ground zero I guess but like the ripples are still felt further and further away and so um I don't like think too much of him as a character but (laughs) it um, expands Carmela as a character too yeah to deal with adultery right you know especially because like talking about form too in the last episode where we said it was kind of like this dovetail or something it was like this like ellipsis where the show is you know so abruptly ended then it just kind of starts with the music but it's funny because adultery was such a main theme of the last episode and it's left with that with those questions yeah. and then Carmela is engaging with those things in a rather kind of like unexpected way. Yeah, no, totally. I liked how Vic Musto, when he was introducing himself, talked about being state certified but still dangerous. And I love the like <laughs> the irony in yeah. that, like that Carmela would be drawn to somebody who is so the opposite of dangerous. Yeah. Who is like so kind of by the books. Yeah. And that that is what draws her in yeah it's it's funny um she listens to conte partito conte Partito. yeah mm-hmm. again and actually and Shania she gets Twain. and she gets the call actually while she's listening to conte partito on this black phone that we've talked about in the, uh, quite a bit actually in the first season like people getting phone calls from from black phones or right. white phones sometimes but like yeah um we she listens to you're still the one I want by Shania Twain, mm-hmm. but she's like making this picnic basket, <laughs> which is I thought they were gonna probably eat lunch inside the house. I didn't think they were gonna go. She on seems this like picnic. she 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 seems she seems like she had a pretty like elaborate plan for lunch. Yeah, it seemed pretty over the top, but then Horatio or whatever shows up instead. <laughs> <laughs> um, 
Or Jorge? Yeah. What was his name? Oh, Ramon, I thought. Ramon. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. Oh, that's, yeah, that's okay. I think we'll be okay without his name. What about, I thought, there was a scene that really stuck with me from previous viewings, which is all the scenes in the room of the bathroom where right. Carmela and Vic. The jail bathroom. Yeah. So, like, the composition is so vertical, like mm. linear vertical. Mm. And it really kind of reminds me of jail. And there's something about it, like, in an episode that's really dealing with Tony being afraid about going away, going to jail. Both him and Carmela end up in that room. And for me, it feels like a prison. So I feel like Carmela's in a prison. Like, even if she gets together with Vic, she will always be imprisoned by being a member of that family. And really, yeah. it's not something that's safe or plausible to no. do. And so she's kind of trapped by her role in that household and in that family. So it's just, it's not going to happen. And then also, the kind of double play of it, um, Tony, when he's in that room, after he finds out that he's safe, for me, he's still in prison. Totally. He still always has to be looking over his shoulder. The oh, next yeah. thing could always be coming. And really, like... He is his own worst enemy. Yeah. The cliche that gets stated. And all the issues that have been plaguing him are going to continue to plague him regardless of this. Yeah. Um, I thought that was interesting, like, in terms of that line, like, being his own worst enemy. Um, <coughs> excuse me. Um, the scene that is in Melfi's office, or the two scenes that we have in Melfi's office are really interesting. Like, the way that she's acting now yeah um is pretty troubling like we see her kind of be angry with tony or like she's not really acting in her role as a therapist she's like, changing like at one i forget exactly how it's all precipitated but um you know she kind of catches herself going off script kind of you know like not taking he says something about her role like as a therapist yeah and she comes back and, like, asks some kind of a cursory question. Like, how does that make you feel when right. you're thinking about that, right? Yeah. But she says it with this kind of, like, disdain. It's not in a therapeutic way. Like, yeah. it's kind of just, like, she's angry. Yeah. Um. So I thought that those scenes were interesting. And she also, like, when she gets scared and she kind of, like, closes up into that, like, girly yeah. persona, mm. you know? Um. I don't know. There's interesting stuff happening with Melfi this season. I don't think I really, like, paid too much attention to her in past mm -hmm. viewings yeah. during this season. There's a lot of complexity to yeah. her as a character. Yeah. Yeah. Um, what about Janice? So great. I, I always remember that scene with Janice. <laughs> it's pretty weird. <laughs> <laughs> I guess that's what they're into. I, I guess. Yeah, who knows? With Livia just upstairs. I know. That was pretty strange. <laughs> it's really something. But um, yeah, her saying you're the best and then transforming into you're the boss, transforming into it should be you. Yeah. That is so manipulative. Yeah. Too. No, yeah. it's pretty. That is yeah. so manipulative. And he doesn't like that, right? Like he doesn't like that she's like, he sees it as this is something that she wants, right? Like, And it she, is. And it is. Yeah. Um, but he's also stuck within this model, right? Like, we see him going to different people. To, like he's going to Junior now to try to, you know, gain more power. He's kind of stuck. He's not really able yeah. to gain more power. Yeah. Um, in the system where Tony's yeah. in charge. Right? I thought it was interesting, too. Janice quoted Sun Tzu, which is something that Tony's talked about, saying, be swift as a hare. Yeah. <laughs> 
Um, but yeah, you know, Janice is more and more as the season has gone on a player, right? When she shows up, she's this kind of hippie character or, you know, seemingly this kind of like removed hippie character, mm-hmm. kind of like the in-between of like Tony and and the other sister, you know, just like not, she's maybe more connected than Barbara, but she's really kind of like removed herself from the world and comes back and has like a different personality. Mm-hmm. But it turns out that she actually really at Doesn't. her core. Yeah. Not. Yeah. Yeah. Interesting. So for me, there was a lot of interesting things with Davy and the family. And I thought the Ramlosa was really interesting. Right. The drink. Right. That the water. Is, yeah. yeah. Purchased through the bust out. And then you know, the scene of Christina and Carmela, it's really interesting. Yeah, when they're talking yeah. at Vesuvio and Christina tells Carmela how the business is in her name so he can't gamble it away. And yet then almost immediately after she starts pouring the Ramlosa yeah. and then ingesting it, which is really kind of this like insidious way that she can't avoid her husband because it's been taken advantage of by the Sopranos. Yeah. And so... They force her to be, like, a cannibal. Yeah, she's, like, she's drinking it. She's, like, drinking away the business. And then I also thought it was even more than that. Like, Dave Scavino, when he's in the house in the tent, he has the pizza box in there. Yeah, I saw that. So he's, like, ingesting the pizza that was ordered that we saw earlier that Richie had. Yeah. You know, when he was getting the sandwiches and, like, seven boxes of pizza, God knows why. Yeah, to the store's account. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> but, you know, they're both kind of forced to, yeah, basically cannibalize themselves. Yeah. Also, Tony's just inability to deal with anybody else's crises. So when Tony's really struggling with the witness in the sporting goods store, mm. Davey breaks in saying, it's happening. You know, they're pressing a lawsuit. Right. You know, basically like, it's over. Like, my life is over. And people are like, not now. Which we've heard before, right? It's like the like Christopher walks in with his own problems. Like, not now, because Tony has a big crisis. He's unable to have any empathy for other people's major life crises. Yeah. And that especially when something is happening to him, it's just like that trumps everything. Yeah. And then, you know, not only that, but there's kind of this like showdown. He actually like chases Davey away. I guess he like feels bad, but it's pretty cheap. He's like, you're doing great. As he like... <laughs> Forces him to cannibalize himself and well, steal everything he Well, it's the same way he, he treats, like, anyone else. Like, like he, same way he treats AJ. It's the same way he, you know, like, he, like, has these explosions. He blows up at people and then he feels bad. Like, he, he feels bad about Matt Bevilacqua. He was calling for mm-hmm. his mom. You know, it's similar. Like, he feels bad at some level for Davy Scavino. Yeah. But then he... Like, you can see, like, when he was sitting there with Davey in the tent and they were, like, kind of reminiscing for a second. Yeah. And then he was, like, he was, like, I knew you had a store. Like, I was just trying to. That's so messed up. I knew, you know, like. Because from watching the last, you know, the episode, I didn't get the feeling that that it was that intentional (laughs) to bust out his store. I don't know if it was, but Tony, like. But the fact that he would even turn it into that, that's horrible. Why would he want that to be the interpretation? I don't know. Like. For power, for also just like then he doesn't have to feel those feelings of being upset about it. He doesn't have to live in a gray area. He can like see himself as just all bad. 
Maybe. I don't know. Yeah. Well, um, I thought it was interesting, actually, when he's watching the History Channel right. in this episode. They're talking about France in 1944, General Patton. There were controversies <laughs> tarnishing his reputation. He he wants to vindicate himself the only way he knows how. Is in through battle. battle. <laughs> <laughs> but there's something about that, right? Like, that's kind of what Tony yeah, emulates. totally. And that's all he really knows how to do. We've yeah. talked about him being comfortable in these realms of casual violence. Yeah. And... He really is. Like, he's comfortable in battle and in maybe even in his own crises. Yeah. But it's, it's almost like in Godfather when they talk about, they're like, Tom Hagen, you're not a wartime consigliere. Like, there's, like, different kinds of people out there. And Tony really thrives in battle, in war. Like, in those black and white, he's that kind of person. You know? Tom Hagen, what an interesting character. <laughs> too much. <laughs> We're throwing the net too far. <laughs> Tune in for our new Godfather's <laughs> podcast <laughs> where we talk oh, about man. yeah he's not Italian yeah there's a lot it's okay we're gonna talk about we're gonna talk about <laughs> Sopranos <laughs> um, another thing actually with Tony and the way that he deals with these things is actually when he goes to pay Beansy at the end so I thought that was really interesting yeah why he, does he do that so I thought that was a fascinating scene I think he's got off he's happy you know yeah. Melfi asked him. The question is, how do you stop? Right. Right? And Tony says, no, I'm not doing this, and leaves. Yeah. So, again, there's, like, zero self-reflection. And then, you know, we see him going to Beansy. For him, I feel like he's doing something that he thinks is kind and is going to make him feel better. The reality is he's doing nothing that makes Beansy feel better. Yeah. So, again, there's a complete lack of empathy. He goes and offers him $50,000. He feels like that's, like, the nicest thing he could do. He's doing something for someone else. Beansy doesn't even want it. No. I mean, he's a paraplegic, and that's not being addressed. Like, it's it's actually kind of, like, cheap, and he finds it insulting. And right. yet, Tony goes because he's doing something for himself and hands it off to Beansy. And you know, too, that Beansy's now in debt to Tony for this, which makes me sad. That's Okay, that's kind of was my interpretation, yeah. yeah. Like, it kind of, like, ropes him back into it, kind yeah. of, right? But there was something, too, in that scene in the way that it was acted and presented. Like, as he's walking away, like, James Gandolfini is, like, Know, so, happy. so happy and actually yeah. the painting in the back is almost like a kid's painting of flowers yeah, yeah, yeah. it's like it's just so simplistic yeah i feel like it's like now he's i mean like a happy wanderer like he's yeah. the one who's just kind of like so gleeful and yet beansy is the opposite of that he's miserable yeah. didn't want this basically was forced into taking the money and he's a paraplegic yeah so tony's not doing it for anybody other than himself no and he leaves feeling better but he really shouldn't yeah, no, absolutely. So, he's a great guy. He's just a great guy. Verdict's still out. Is Tony a great guy or not? Yeah. Jury's still out? Verdict's still out? Jury. Jury. Jury's still out. Yeah. Well, no jury's coming up because he's he's off. Hey, the Vabern, The Vabern the listener, he's he chickened out. <laughs> um, will they ever find out who killed Matt Bevilacqua? I don't know. Will pussy... I don't know. What's, will pussy ever tell Skip if he was actually there or not? I don't know. Will Tony and AJ ever go fishing? They did. Yeah. That's nice. Yeah. Let's leave it there. <laughs> well, thanks for listening. We'll be back. We have a lot more Sopranos to talk about. Last three episodes, I guess, right? Yeah, getting near the end of season two. And I can't wait for the penultimate. Ooh. 
That'll be fun. I can't wait for the ultimate of this season. Uh, yeah. Uh, what do you? It's like the best episode. Spoilers. That is a that is a great episode. <laughs> okay, I'm sorry to spoil yeah, it. It's a great episode. I'm sorry to spoil it. The last episode is a great episode. Yeah. <laughs> okay, see you then. Bye.